been seeing the beauty of the gospel unfolding even in the Old Testament as we've been preaching one text through every book of the Bible in the Old Testament um, showing us what God's plan is unfolding in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are near the end of our minor prophets. Some may say, that's great, way to go. You're almost to the end of the minor prophets. Some may be sad like me because I have gotten to study books of the Bible that uh, I've never preached before. And it's been exciting and exhilarating for me. Uh, last week, we talked about Haggai. And we saw that Israel needed encouragement to put their hand to the plow to do the work of the Lord. The temple, remember where we are, we are in post-exile Israel. The temple has been destroyed. The city of Jerusalem has been destroyed. And now Haggai and now Zechariah this morning have a word from the Lord for God's people. And I I believe it's for us too this morning. Not only is the temple going to be rebuilt, not only is Jerusalem going to be rebuilt, but Zechariah introduces us to a character, to a person who is coming, who he says will build God's temple. You see, the the prophets, uh, and we've studied this through our series, the prophets are often bringing the judgment and the wrath of God. But they never leave God's people without hope. Amen? You see, our God is a God of hope. Amen? He doesn't leave us in the belly of the whale. He doesn't leave us in the rubble. He doesn't leave us feeling naked and ashamed as Adam and Eve did in the garden. He leaves us with hope. And the hope is not in us, but the hope is in God's steadfast love. And as we've journeyed through the prophets, my prayer is that whatever life throws at you, either now or in the future, that you are never without the hope of God. Amen? In this text, Zechariah talks about someone who is to come, and he tells us who this someone is. He refers to this person as the branch. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5 and 6 tells us more about this branch. It says this, Behold, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. See, the branch was the one who would come from David as a king in the line of David. His name would be, the Lord is our righteousness. Yahweh God is our righteousness. We know that God is righteous. We know that God is righteousness. But this branch is not only Yahweh God, he is also what? Our righteousness. The possessive of our righteousness. Our righteousness, God himself. How can this one branch make us righteous? Well, we're going to find out together as we delve into the dregs of the minor prophets to mine the depths of one of our favorite minor prophets, the book of Zechariah. If you have not read this book, I challenge you to read it. It is incredible as it speaks of the coming Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah who is coming The Messiah is coming. So if you'll turn with me to Zechariah, it's at the end of your Old Testament, chapter 6, 
And we're going to pick up in verse 9 through 15 this morning. So Zechariah chapter 6, verse 9. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word, we're going to read his word together. And we're going to try and figure this out. This is not an easy text of scripture to preach. I'm going to say this. But, kids, if you can understand this, you can get the whole understanding of the Bible. So, I'm not talking to just our kids, also our adults and our senior adults, okay? But, this is not an easy text of scripture. So, I need you to concentrate in reading God's word and letting it speak over you as he declares what he is doing throughout all of history in bringing Jesus the Messiah. Zechariah chapter 6 verse 9, And the word of the Lord came to me, Zechariah speaking, Take from the exiles Heldai, Tobijah, and Jedidiah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold, and make a crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne and there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helam, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Amen. You can be seated. Father, we ask through these difficult passage of the prophets that you would speak to us in our life this morning. That you would remind us of your plan from the beginning of time. That the high priest who would be a king would come and his name would be Jesus. And he would build your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Lord God, give us, Father, the ability to see who Jesus is this morning. And help us to respond in worship to the great God who saves in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it is the end of August and school has started. And you're back into your routine, hopefully. And you're past the summer. But uh, hopefully at some point, either this summer or sometime in the past, most of you have taken a journey. Maybe with some family or taken a journey with friends in what you would like to call a road trip, okay? This is what we used to do before the iPad and Netflix. We would go on road trips, okay? And most of the time when on said road trip, you would have a destination. And thus you would know when the end of the journey was. Sometimes you had a paper map where you found your destination and in the later days you had Google Maps and you knew how long it would take to get to your destination. There was no protractor and pencils to find out. But you would know the end of your journey. But you knew or you experienced on your journey to reach your destination, the pains of the road trip, especially of a long road trip. You guys understand this, maybe some stiff legs, possibly T5 vertebrae out of place, maybe sore neck from drooling on your shoulder trying to pass the time, possible kids, injuries, or screaming from the siblings in the back seat. We can go on and on. You get the picture, okay? 
Well, back in 1993, my family moved to Oklahoma from Portland, Oregon. And we traveled seven states in 1,873 miles to be exact to get to our destination. The most memorable of memories was my mom got us these little travel books and they had little games to play to try to pass the time. Here, son, here's your little book of travel, travel games to play for the next three or four days, right? You can imagine that's what it was in my generation. In today's world, you got your iPad, your iPhone, your movies, your, your, your video games, your Switch, all the things that the kids have I did not have. I had a little book to play games and do scavenger hunts. One of the challenges in this little book was to find a license plate of all 50 states on the journey. And this was the challenge, find all 50 states license plates. And we started getting the easy ones, like California, Washington, Oregon. When we moved into Idaho, we saw the Idaho license plate. But we realized quite quickly that what was going to be hard in finding all 50 was going to be Alaska and the crown jewel of Hawaii. Now everyone in the car was into finding these plates. And at one, time, at one point, dad said, I'll eat my hat if you find a Hawaii license plate. And my mom says to him, eat your hat, really? Why don't you do something that you can actually do? And so the, the final last word, great last words that come out of his mouth, I'll do a backflip if you find a Hawaii license plate. And so we went what seemed days without a Hawaii plate. We finally see an Alaska plate, a Rhode Island plate, but no Hawaii. It seemed as if we had lost all hope. Until one day, in Yellowstone National Park, in all her glory, we saw the rainbow. On the license plate with those words, Aloha on it. Now I say all this to tell you, that God from the very beginning had been pointing to the one who would come to crush the head of the serpent. You see, the long-awaited Messiah who was coming to make things right. He was greater than the prophet Moses. He is the king in the line of David whose kingdom will have no end. And the prophecy this morning, we see he is also a priest in the order of Melchizedek. He would put all things back in order that had gone into chaos, forgiving iniquity by his sacrifice. The prophets had told us that he was coming, but the people of Zechariah's day had grown weary. They had lost hope in God's plan of redemption and restoration. And the prophet Zechariah declares to God's people, do not lose hope. He's coming. But what will he look like? What will he do when he comes? You see, we're all on a road trip waiting to get to our final destination and God seems to be encouraging his people in the days of Zechariah and encouraging us today, his church. I have a plan. My plan is perfect and it shall come to pass. Don't lose hope, church, in this life. My people and my plans will succeed. The branch is coming and he will build the temple of the Lord to fill the earth with the glory of God. Amen. By the way, my father that night at the ripe old age of 54 performed a remarkable backflip slash somersault and it was magnificent. Yes, yes, right? One of my best memories as a child. 
The prophet opens the book in chapter 1, verse 2. Let's read it together. The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Return to me and I will return to you, I have not forgotten you, O Jerusalem, O Judah, O people of God. I have not forgotten you. And then comes eight visions. You can read those visions. You may not understand all of those visions through the first four or five chapters there. But comes chapter six, we have this story in which God calls Zechariah to do something as almost a reminder to God's people that the king who is the priest is coming to them. Verse 9, read it again. And the word of the Lord came to me, take from the exiles, Heldai, Tobijah, Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now who are these people? Heldai, Tobijah, Jedidiah, and what are they doing? Well, they're returning from exile. They're returning from Babylon. And they must have some wealth. They have silver and gold. And if you're building a huge building, especially one as ornate as the temple of the, the, of the Lord, you might need some silver and gold. But God doesn't tell them to get their silver and gold out for the building of the temple God tells Zechariah to do something strange. He tells them to make a crown. Put it on the head of the high priest, whose name is Joshua. <clears throat> now, the Hebrew for the name of Joshua is Yehoshua, sometimes translated Yeshua. In Ezra and Nehemiah, Joshua's name is translated Jeshua in the English. We would read it Jeshua. Why? Because they're the same name. Jeshua, Jehoshua, it's the same name. It's be like Rob and Robert, Josh and Joshua, the same meaning. But his name is actually the same meaning as Jesus. Jesus in the Greek, Yeshua in the Hebrew. Yahweh saves. And this high priest's name is Joshua or in the Greek, or in the Hebrew, Yeshua. And he is a high priest, not a king. Yet, God has asked Zechariah to place a crown on his head. And God is telling us something very significant here. God has not forgotten his people, and the long-prophesied king-priest is coming. The sign in which God's people would understand at the time that God had not abandoned his people. Hope for God's people was not lost. Look at verse 12 with me. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold the man whose name is the branch for he shall branch out from his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. This is our first point this morning. The Messiah is the king of kings. As we, as we have said, the branch was the term used for the one in the line of David who is the promised one. All of the Old Testament is pointing us to this anointed one who will be the new Adam. To rule and reign as God had intended. 
Daniel calls him the son of man. Moses called him the prophet like him in whom the very words of God will be spoken. David says his kingdom will have no end. And Jeremiah, as we read earlier, talks about the branch. And Isaiah talks about the branch in great detail. And this is what the branch will look like. And so Zechariah, when he is referencing the branch, is hyperlinking for us Isaiah chapter 11. And this is what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 11 about the branch. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now we understand the stump of Jesse is is a tree that has been cut off, right? Why? Because the the kings in the line of David, Jesse is David's father, in the line of David have been cut off. They have been declared a stump. There is no king now that reigns in Jerusalem. There shall come forth from a shoot, from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. I'm going to read this because you have to understand this. And the Spirit of the Lord, speaking of Christ, shall rest upon him. And the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees, his eyes see, or decide disputes, but why his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, faithfulness the belt of his loins, the wolf. And then, and then you get this, this mysterious passage here. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lay down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. Where, where has this happened before? In the Garden of Eden, there was no death. The animals did not kill one another. This is what we are returning to, this garden-like place in which the branch will usher in this place of perfection in which there will not be no death, nor pain, nor suffering, and the little child will lead the lion and the calf out. Verse 8, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Listen to this, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is where the Bible is going. From the beginning of time, from the Garden of Eden, we are returning to that perfect state of peace. Shalom. Now, the Savior is coming. Don't miss the last line. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth, the whole earth, shall know the Lord just as Adam and Eve knew the Lord in the Garden of Eden when they walked in the cool of the day with the Lord. Amen? And the presence of God will fill the earth as it filled the Garden of Eden. You see, this garden, it was this temple-like place because God's presence dwelt there and Adam and Eve They were called to take care of God's creation as rulers over the animals, rulers of God's creation. And that as rulers, they were to act on God's behalf to his creation. They were also to be caretakers of the place where God dwelt, much like priests who God uses the same words In the garden as he does for the priests who were to take care of the temple to work and to keep the garden. To work and to keep the temple. The dwelling place of God. 
In fact, in the temple, all of the images of the garden were all over the temple. The trees were seen in the temple. The lampstand, the cherubim guarding the holy of holies where the presence of God was, all pointing us back to the garden. The place where heaven and earth meet. God's dwelling among men on his holy mountain. So Adam and Eve, they were supposed to be royal priests. But they forfeited God's blessing. And now, fast forward in the the story, right? God calls one man Abraham and says through him the blessing of God will be restored. Not only for him and his family, but for all the nations. Right? It's interesting. Abraham meets up with a priest king. His name is Melchizedek. He is the king of of Salem. Literally in the Hebrew, Shalem. Psalm 76 tells us that this will be later called Jerusalem. And Abraham, the one whom God says the blessing will come through, meets up with the king priest Melchizedek. And the encounter is in Genesis 14. And the encounter is this priest king That God has established this priesthood in Jerusalem long before Abraham, long before David. And what does Melchizedek do to Abraham? He blesses him. Now this is picturing, right, forward to Christ who blesses his people as the priest king will bless his people. Now Abraham returns the favor. He gives one-tenth of all he has to this king priest, showing his sign of submission under the priest king Melchizedek. And David told us that the priest king to come would be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, that he would be a a king in the line of David and a priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is one of the most important passages of Scripture. It is quoted multiple times in the New Testament. Psalms chapter 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. Remember this. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your mouth will be yours. The Lord has sworn, and it will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the psalm, this psalm right here, Psalm 110, is prophesying the one whom David will call Lord and will sit at the right hand of the Father He will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So what happens in the greater picture of the story? Abraham will return to a mountain in the area of Salem, or the area of what's now called Jerusalem, where the temple mount will be. And this time the Lord will provide for Abraham a sacrifice instead of his son, a ram in the place of his son. And, and Abraham says, this place shall be called the Lord provides. And this is, where, this is where the temple will be, on Mount Moriah. Okay, so God is connecting all these stories in this one text of scripture in Zechariah. Fast forward a little bit in this story. God calls his people in Exodus 19 to be a kingdom of priests. But while Moses goes up the mountain into the cloud, into the presence of the Lord, 
God will tell Moses about what the human high priest ought to look like, what he should wear, how he should be dressed in white with jewels, how the whole picture of the high priest goes on behalf of the people to a holy God. This is where we would get the high priest enters into the Holy of Holies once a year to make atonement for God's people. And as as Moses goes up the mountain, the people are down below. And who is it that is organizing the people to worship the golden calves? It is the human high priest, Aaron. And God is saying the human high priest is not the king high priest who is coming to make things right. Moses ends up being like a high priest interceding on behalf of God's people. And as Moses, not Aaron, who acts as if the high priest his face shining as he comes down to the mountain. But we know Moses fails as well late in his life, does not enter the promised land. So who will be the one who crushes the serpent? Fast forward, Israel's high priests are corrupt, just like Aaron, their father. And they want a king, and now David is the one who brings the tabernacle, the presence of the Lord, into Jerusalem. And when he brings the tabernacle, he is dancing in what? In priestly attire. And then sacrifices as if a king priest. But we know David is not the promised one. As we know what happens to him, he commits murder and adultery. Who will be the coming king? Who will be the high priest to intercede on behalf of God's people who is holy and righteous? Is he coming? We documented what happened through the prophets. The city of Jerusalem destroyed. God's presence leaving the temple as it was burned by the Babylonians. There is no king in the line of David on the throne. Is God done God is giving people hope right here in this text by saying the high priest king is coming. Behold a man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord as they place the crown on the high priest who is Joshua. Maybe you're in a tough place in your life this morning. You're struggling. You need some reassurance that God has not abandoned you in your situation. Even in your sin, you wind up facing the rubble of your life. And you're wondering, is God still with me? Let me tell you this morning, God wants you to see his hope in Jesus. Just as in the days of Zechariah, the hope was in Christ, your hope is in Christ. They were looking forward to the priest king. You look backward and currently to the priest king. His name is Jesus. Let's look at verse 13. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor, shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helam, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. This is our second point this morning. The Messiah is the mediator between God and man. The Messiah is the mediator between God and man. Now it's well documented that Zerubbabel is actually the ruling figure in the line of David. Why wasn't the crown placed on his head? Well, this text is actually concluding eight visions 
and wrapping up for God's people what these eight visions mean. We must go to chapter 3 and the vision that God gives concerning the high priest. It also includes the words, the branch. So let's go to chapter 3 for a minute. and Let's read this together. This is a vision the Lord gives to Zechariah. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Interesting. Satan accusing who? Joshua the high priest. Man's high priest. Okay? And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from a fire? Now Joshua is standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Now what is that representing? That represents that he is sinful. Satan is accusing God's plan of the high priest, man's high priest, as being corrupt, which we see throughout the story of the Bible as true. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to whom he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. What do you got to say now, Satan? What are you saying now to my high priest whom I have clothed in clean clothes? And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are... Who, who are a sign, behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in a single day. And that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Now, this is interesting, right? Satan, the accuser, says God's people are dirty. Their high priest who is supposed to intercede on behalf of God's people is unclean because of his sin, Satan has the authority to accuse because of their sin. And in this exchange, there is another who intercedes on behalf of man's high priest. He says, I will bring my servant the branch. And just as God did in the vision and putting on clean garments, he says he will remove iniquity of the land in a day. Christ is not the human priest in the order of Aaron. His covenant is the new covenant in which God's people will know the Lord because they will have access through the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from 
from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool under his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. You see, Christ is the author of the new covenant in which he dies as the intercessor for us. He offers himself as the perfect and holy sacrifice so that God could forgive sins in a day. And that we will be clothed with clean garments from our sin. And Satan no longer can accuse God's people because of their sin. Through the rest of the book, Zechariah describes Jesus in detail how he will come, how he will now sit at the right hand of God, interceding on behalf of God's people because he has made them clean. The first thing he does is he comes in peace and humility. Zechariah 9, 9. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? You see, because Christ's humility and death on the cross, we are made holy and righteous. He is pierced for our transgressions. In chapter 13, he is the shepherd who is struck. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 2, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. He was pierced for our transgressions and sins. And his blood was poured out like a fountain so that we can drink from the living water who is the fountain of Christ. Zechariah 13, 1. On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. So what is God doing here? Through this story of a crown on a high priest, naming him the branch, he's reminding his people he has not forgotten them. He's reminding his people of his plan from the very beginning that from the seed of woman will come one who will crush the head of the serpents. He certainly has not forgotten you. His people. I love this this part where he says in verse 14, And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to these people. Reminding them of what? That God's word is true. That his promises are true. That he will overcome sin and death through the promised high priest, king, who is Jesus. When we partake of the Lord's Supper after service today in our our family meal, we are reminded of what Christ did for us. His body broken, his blood poured out so that we could be made righteous. You see, we are like Joshua who stand before God with filthy rags and God says, no, I will make you clean. And he does it through the blood of Christ 
The Messiah is the King of Kings. The Messiah is the mediator between God and man. And verse 15, And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is our third point this morning. The Messiah will build God's kingdom. Messiah is not only the king of kings and lord of lords, has authority over all things. He mediates on our behalf, but he will build his kingdom. Over and over again in this text, it says the branch shall build the temple of the Lord. Zerubbabel, in the line of David and Joshua, the priest, the high priest would eventually build the second temple. But this was just a small picture for us of what the ultimate temple that the branch would build. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, the curtain in the temple that separated the people from the Holy of Holies, the presence of God was torn in two from top to bottom. The temple was now opened to all the earth. The presence of God was now to fill the earth with his glory. And descending upon the earth some 50 days later at Pentecost, upon God's apostles was tongues of fire. No longer in the temple, but upon God's people as God's temple would now go throughout the earth as his church, as God's people. And Peter says it in 1 Peter 2, 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. God's building his temple through Christ. And he's building his temple through people who are filled with the presence of God himself. So now we bring it full circle. Now we see God returning to us what we were created to do in the Garden of Eden. To be royal priests. Because of our royal priest who is Christ. He has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Peter goes on in 1 Peter 2, 9. But you... God's church are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The God of heaven and earth had a plan. His plan was Jesus. And he allowed Zechariah in the days of Zechariah to see his plan unfolding. To prophesy the one who would be the branch, the ruler in the line of David, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, who would come and make his people royal priests again, who would build his kingdom through the spirit of the living God living inside of them. It would be God's plan for the building of his kingdom. What does Jesus say? Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Satan no longer has the authority. He cannot accuse. And now it's our turn, as as the text says, and those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple. 
And now it's our turn to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And what does he say? And lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. It's now God's people's turn to help build the kingdom through the blood of Christ because we have a great high priest who intercedes on our behalf, who has been given all authority and reign, and now he empowers you, his church, to build the kingdom of God. God's presence filling the earth, one person at a time. You see, the kingdom of God, is it important to you, church? It was important to God. Enough that he would be come down from heaven to be born as a baby, to live a sinless life, and to die on the cross for you. Is it important to give up your whole life to see God's glory fill the earth through his presence indwelling his people? May we not lose sight of the hope that we have in our King who is the high priest who builds his kingdom even today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship through your word, through the understanding of what you're doing according to the Old Testament. Father, we know that uh, this, this text of scripture has not been easy for us to understand And Father, we know that you have a plan in all things for your glory and your purposes. And Father, we ask that um, you would speak to us right now that how we should respond in this, this word of God is in awe of who you are, your plan, all of Christ. And Father, our response to you is submission to submit to you as king, Lord of our life, and to submit to you as the one who intercedes for us as the high priest. Lord, give us the strength that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, would you stand in worship in response to the Lord this morning?